Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about um, this idea of how we live out our faith from the Sermon on the Mount. And, uh, and Jesus, most of the time up to now, has been talking about kind of our external things that have uh, internal or eternal uh, consequences. So we've been talking about murder and adultery and truth-telling and revenge and love for enemies and those kinds of things like that. But today, uh, Jesus, in our, in our passage that we're going to look at, it's kind of a big passage and a lot in it, and we're not going to look at all of it, but uh, Jesus begins to look at something a little more internal. He's looking more at the, what is it that motivates you to do what it is that you do? And, and that's going to get perhaps a little closer to home. It certainly got a little closer to my house anyway. And, and so we're going to be kind of talking about that today and saying, why do we do? What's the motive behind what we do as faith followers, as faith walkers with Jesus? And so if you have your Bibles and want to turn with me in your, there to Matthew chapter 6, I think it will probably come up on the screen as well. But if you have your Bibles, look there with me and we'll read together. Uh, or actually, I'm going to read. You're going to listen <laughs> To Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 18, kind of a long passage, but, but worth the read, lots of good stuff in it. This is what it says, Matthew chapter 6, beginning of verse 1, it says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. To be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have, their, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Uh, Jesus is uh, getting right to the point here. He, he's telling us to be careful about how we live out our righteousness. 
we have to ask ourselves the question, are we doing what we do for God or to be seen by others? I think Jesus knows our nature. He knows that most of us, even, even us, this, this group of people here, this, the forgiven, the, 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 the seekers, the, the, the followers, the, those who are desirous of being disciples, we still have issues around achievement and approval and acceptance. Now, oftentimes in the world before we came to faith, we lived and died on those things. We lived and died on success and approval of others. And as followers of Christ, we sometimes have a tendency to slide back into those same kinds of things when we think about God and the church. I have a sense of love and acceptance and approval when I'm doing things right. And the more I do them, the more I feel loved and accepted and approved. And the funny thing is that we, we can get into a, a, a pattern and trapped into a pattern for, for two very different reasons. Sometimes we get into this because we feel insecure and inadequate. There's something kind of emotionally driving us. And, and we think the more we do these things, the more we're going to be noticed and the more we're going to have a sense of well-being if we're... You know, doing all the things that everybody else is doing, we're supposed to do. And, and so we do them and we drive that out of our inadequacies. We get into those things. And sometimes we do them in, in kind of a, a destructive sense of pride. We say we do good because we are good. And clearly everyone ought to know it, right? But either place, we kind of get into weird things. We end up doing it for ourselves, either to make us feel better or to strut or to whatever. I don't know. if I'm maybe the only person that has to deal with this, but have you ever had thoughts of this stuff? Well, I'll, I'll just give you a little test here. Um, this is one of those things that uh, the author of the book that we're reading alongside this series, uh, In the Good and Beautiful Life, he has this kind of a... Uh, a little thing that says, you know, you're this, you know, you know, that you, you know, you're a blank if you do this. Have you seen those? That I'd I'd use the phrase that most describes myself. Well, I shouldn't do that. My wife will chastise me later. But, you know, you're a blank if blank. So that's one of these. That's kind of one of those kinds of things. So so this is the kind of idea, you know, you may have an issue with pride or vainglory, which is kind of an interesting word. Nobody hardly ever uses that word vainglory. I, I don't know what all that is about, but. Something about, I guess, the glory for our own vanity or something, I don't know. But, but you know you may have an issue with these things if uh, one of these is working in your life. Do we have those? No, we didn't get those. Okay, we won't worry about that. You, you know you may, you may have an issue with pride or vain glory if whenever you accomplish something or receive accolades for something, you immediately want everybody to know about it. You may have an issue with that. Uh, you may have an issue with it if, if I keep, try to keep others from knowing my weaknesses and failings. This is just as much pride as it is to broadcast our success. You understand that? One, one is to say, I want everybody to know how great I am. And the other one says, I don't want anybody to know all my messed up spot places. They're the kind of the opposite ends of the same thing, but they end up in the same place. 
We want people to think well of us. You may have an issue with this. If in conversations, I try to be so very, very humble and it's so very difficult. But I really want people to know how wonderful I am. So when they don't get it, I somehow just slip it into the conversation without them hardly knowing it. Just to point out how great I am. You would never do that. I know that. I do that, but you would never do that. I actually had the general here the other day, and I took him out for lunch, and I found myself doing this. I was like, whoa, I'm like, what am I saying? You know, I'm bragging on my church and what good things are happening. And also, I'm like, oh, why are you doing this? Just shut up. You, you may have an issue with this if, if you're not above dropping names. Are you, are you a name dropper? So if, if all of your close friends know all the famous people that you've ever met and the great conversations you've ever had with all these people, you may have an issue with this. Uh, you may have an issue with this if, if, if nearly every act of service that you have ever done in all your life is well known to everybody around you. They just know everything you've done. You may have an issue with this. If you're going to watch your kids or your grandkids as they're performing in sports or in the arts, and you're more preoccupied with the the impression that these people are making on the people around you than you are on actually just enjoying your kids or grandkids having a good time in sports or doing their thing. I'm guilty. Pastor's kids, you know, a lot of pressure on them. These things uh, come to us, sometimes funny, sometimes a little too close to home. But the long story short is this, is that Many of us, good, righteous, well-intending followers of Christ, can fall into this kind of stuff. And Jesus gives us three examples of how it was happening in his day. And and he gets right to the point. I mean, he he talks about three huge things. Now, Now, you have to remember, and I'll repeat this again later, but you have to remember that he's not talking about not doing these. He's not saying these are bad things to do. He's just saying we need to be thoughtful about how we do the good things that we do. And so he talks about almsgiving, about giving to the poor. And in that day, giving like this was was really kind of the social services of the day. People would come to the temple and there was a box there and and they would put their offerings into the box. And you'll remember in several different places in the Gospels, Jesus hung out there a lot. You know, I don't know why, you know, he, he just kind of hung out there, observed how people did their stuff. And, 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 but people would give to those things and, and they put it in the box and, and, uh, and the, then the temple priests and the leaders there would, would take that money and would give that out to those that were in need. It was kind of how they did that. There was not a, you know, food stamps and there wasn't all the other stuff that there was. There was, the temple and they gave to the help the needy and those kinds of things. And so people would do that. And and clearly Jesus is saying, you know, there are some that come and they're making a big deal of it. I mean, they're blowing temples and banging the tambourine. And here's another big gift coming in. Everybody look and see. 
Jesus reminds them that uh, they've received their reward in full. There's nothing left for them. They've gotten their credit. It's a good thing that they did. But that's as far as it's going to go. He goes on to talk about prayer, and, and, and Matthew includes here the Lord's Prayer. Um, There's a little different context in some of the other Gospels. But, but, but he's talking about this prayer and, and talking about how you pray. And, and, and in that day and age, uh, the, for the Jews, the, the faithful Jews, the devout Jews, were, were folks who would pray three times a day. They had a very systematic way of of doing their prayers and, and, and they would do those kinds of things. And, and, and Jesus is pointing out to the fact that, that some of them just, just by chance happened to be on the busiest street corner of the city when it was time to do their prayers or, or they would be in the middle of the temple when it was time for them to do their prayers and, and they would with great show, uh, stand and, and pray their hearts out. Uh, for all to see and for all to hear. And, and Jesus calls them all hypocrites. And the problem is, is that they are praying in ways that don't represent their hearts. Their lives are just about show. You'll know in one of the other, uh, the other Gospels that he talks about this idea of the, of the Pharisee who goes to pray. And, and he stands there with great pride and he says, oh, God, I thank you so much that I'm so good and so righteous and so great. And I, I'm not like that sinner over there. Uh, I, I'm better than the tax collector. I'm better than all these people he lists off. And he said, God, you know, you're just so lucky to have me here saying these things. And at the distance was the, the, the tax collector who couldn't even enter into the temple and just fell on his face, couldn't look to heaven, fell on his knees and just cried, Oh, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, that person went away justified. And Jesus speaks to the motive behind our prayers. And it doesn't tell us not to pray, obviously, but but speaks to why we're praying and what's behind it all. He goes on and he talks about fasting. You know, I think he could have been clear about fasting and just said, you know, don't do it. But he didn't. (laughs) He just said, you know, when you're fasting, again, why, why are you doing what you do? How do you do it? He said, in, in that day, you know, kind of the tradition of, of the Old Testament so frequently was this sackcloth and ashes kind of thing. It was a, a outward demonstration of repentance or of mourning or uh, a great need. And, and people would, you know, rip their clothing and put on this rough garb and, and cover themselves and sit on the ash heaps and, and just make some big demonstration of of their piety. And it's one of those things that starts out for a really good reason. <laughs> it's okay. But ends up with, I want everybody to know I'm fasting. And, and traditionally, they would fast twice a week. That was kind of what they did. And they would make a big show out of it. They would, I know it doesn't describe here exactly the sackcloth and ashes, but it talks about this disfiguring of their faces and those kinds of things. And Jesus, again, is confronting this, is saying, why are you doing what you do? 
And again, these are not bad practices. Jesus is not telling them or us not to give and not to pray and not to fast. He's just asking us to consider how it is that we practice our spiritual disciplines. What's behind them? So what does Jesus tell us to do? And, and the examples in, he gives us here, he just says really simply, he just says, give anonymously. When you're going to give, don't make a big show of it. Just give. Give anonymously. We, we use plates here. I don't know. Anybody know why we use plates in the Church of the Nazarene? We almost always have these big plates. I've been in some churches and they have like a little bags. Have you seen those? You know, bags with the handles on them. I don't know. I kind of like that. Sometimes you put your money in. You feel a little funny if I put in a one or I put in a 20 or put in a whatever and it shows up. And I don't know. I guess that's why we have envelopes for those of you that use envelopes. You just give anonymously. He says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And, and, and I think as I've read about this, that, that traditionally this, this offering box sat on kind of the right hand side of the entrance to this place. And, and so he's saying when you're giving, just, you know, the right hand is doing something. Don't even let your own left hand know what you're doing. Just that kind of separation between our motives. It's not for show and it's not. For fanfare, and it's not for our glory. It is to help others and to honor God. And we give for those reasons. I, I'm, you know, I, I don't know what you say. I, I've, I've gone through phases as a pastor over the years. And sometimes I have, uh, I have made it a point because I think it is a reflection of our, um, of our, kind of where we're at in our spiritual journey and where we're at in life's journey sometimes, how we give. And so as a pastor, I've had years when I kept track very closely of what people gave because I thought it kind of reflected where they're at. If there was a big change, I said, okay, either this person is unhappy or there's been a crisis in their life or something, and it kind of gave me a clue to kind of follow with people. Um, I don't do that here, just so you all know that. I can say that here because I don't do that here. Um, I finally just came to a place I said, you know what, God, I don't care. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to figure it out other ways, and it's your responsibility, and you take care of the church, and you take care of them, and we're just going to go on. But there is something, uh, there's something good about just giving in ways that don't bring anything back to us. And Jesus says, when you pray, Pray privately. He, he uses this phrase in all three of these examples. He uses this phrase to say, and the God who sees in secret will, will honor you. And, and, and he kind of has this idea to say, when you pray, just go pray privately. Go pray privately. And the God who sees and understands your heart will do it. And, and yet I don't, I don't think that's against public prayers. I am a big believer in public prayer. Uh, I, I think there's something good in that. But it does challenge us, does it not? It does challenge us to say, why do I pray? And how do I pray when I pray in public in ways that people know and see? And what is that all about? Because sometimes we get into weird places. I have actually heard this. People would say, well, I don't pray in public because I can't pray like sister so-and-so. Anybody ever said that? Okay. Well, 
that that becomes an issue somewhat before sister so and so. And it becomes an issue somewhat for us to say, well, who are you praying for? Are you praying for the people who are listening to you or are you praying for to God? And it becomes an issue for us if someone is looking at us rather than at God, then maybe we also need to, who do like to pray out loud, have reason to think and to consider. It's the heart. And he says, when you fast, fast joyfully. Fast joyfully. He says, don't put on sackcloth and ashes. Don't mess your face up. Don't get all dirty. He says, rather wash your face and put on oil. That's kind of the tradition of the day. To, to just look like a, a regular joyful day. But your fasting is between you and God. Let not others see what you do. We just keep coming back to the issue. It is why it is that we do what it is. We do. Is it for God? Or is it to make others think well of me and to look good in the eyes of others? I'm kind of an analyzer. Uh, I don't know if you know that about me or not. But I tend to just kind of psychoanalyze myself. And sometimes that's really helpful. Anybody, you know, don't raise your hand because I don't know why I always ask that question. Some of you probably are as well. And uh, sometimes it really helps us. Sometimes it doesn't much. Sometimes I think, I wish I was just really kind of just dead in my brain. But I, I, it's hard for me to go there. I just start thinking about this. And I think, well, what if that, that? Then what about that? And then what's that mean over there? And I get into these weird places. So uh, guess what? <clears throat> you get to go there with me. We're going together. So I began to ask myself some questions. I, I began to ask myself really basic questions. I mean, I'm, I'm a pastor and I'm a fairly faithful follower of Christ and all that kind of stuff. And I began to ask myself, why is it that I read my Bible? Why do I read my Bible? Why do you read your Bible? Why don't you read your Bible? I don't know. Why do I read? Why don't I read? I don't, I don't know. I, I, I got to thinking about that. Why, why do I read my Bible? And, and sometimes I have to tell you the truth. Sometimes I read my Bible because I don't want to ever be caught cold if somebody says, hey, pastor, what are you reading these days? Is that, that's not a very good reason to read your Bible. It's not a bad reason, but it's not a very good reason either. I, I actually, I, I kind of kind of, I thought about this and I thought, you know, one of the reasons why I read my Bible all the time is because I have to confess it. I feel better when I read my Bible. I feel like it puts my life in a different perspective and gives me a different way of thinking about life around me. But I know that there are some thoughts back around my head sometimes that maybe aren't quite as pure as that. Ask yourselves, why do I pray? Why do I pray? Do I pray for others? Do I pray as much when I'm in private as when I do in public? How much private prayer do I take? How much public prayer do I have? And those kinds of things. And the same kind of question is when I read my Bible. I, I find great joy and peace in just being with God and having conversation with him. And it's not so much for others as it is for me. And it's certainly not for others to look well at me. 
Now, I got into a little trouble with that because then I began to think about why do I pray over my meals? You all pray at dinnertime meals? I, I, we, we're pretty good about that most of the time, I think, in our tradition. But I began to ask myself, why do I do that? My kids have asked me that question sometimes. And then why do I do that in public? When I go out to a restaurant, why do I, why do I pray? I don't know why I pray. Well, I do know why I pray. I pray because I am thankful. I pray over meals because I don't want, uh, it is kind of a ritualized thing for me. I grew up, my parents always prayed at meals, and I kind of pray at meals. And, 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 I, and it is kind of that. And, and yet at the same time, there is something of, of my heart truly does want to be thankful for every single thing that he provides for me. And so I stop and I pray a thankful prayer over my food. Now, I, I heard from some Scandinavians in one of my former church, and, uh, and these, these two ladies, they, would just, they just said to me that the line about praying over a meal is if you had butter. If you didn't have butter at the table, you didn't have to pray. So, so if you just, you know, if you just, if you just had, you know, dessert or something like that, if you just have coffee and a, and a cupcake or something, a cookie, you didn't have to pray over that one. But if you had, if you had butter on the table, then you had to pray. They were being funny and I hope you'll take that that way too. But, you know, I think years ago people prayed over their meals, uh, because they were actually blessing. It wasn't so much a thankfulness as they were saying it was a prayer of protection because, there were such issues with food and stuff. They were committing themselves. Before they took that bite of food, they were really committing themselves to God. God, if I should get sick and die from this food that I'm eating, <laughs> Lord forbid, I'm yours. <laughs> it's your fault. <laughs> Keep track of me. I don't know. Why do I give what I give? You ever ask yourself that? Why do I give? No one, I don't, am I wandering here? I can't see the, I can't see the clock, so I'm just going to go on until my notes are done. So if I get, and I don't have any of this written down, so it's going to take a while. So, so you just, somebody send their alarm off when it's time. But, you know, I think about why, why do we give? And, and I, and I, have you, have you ever asked yourself that question? I mean, seriously, I mean, don't raise your hand again, but why is it that you give what you give? Wouldn't you think there'd be other things you could do with your money? Am I the only person who's ever thought that? And I'm, I'm the pastor. That's bad. By the way, why do I give what I give? And, and I get back to kind of the same reason why I pray for, over my food. Is I want to recognize that God has provided me with everything that I have. That it's not my own, but it is God's. I don't know. Why do I want to reach people for Christ? Have you ever asked that question? Maybe you haven't asked that question. I, I'm a pastor, and I'm a pastor who wants to reach people for Christ, and, and I want to reach them for Christ, and I want to reach them for the church. I, I don't know. Some people just want to reach people for Christ, see them make a decision for Christ, and then they go their merry way. i got to tell you, I want to win people to Christ, and I want to win them to the church. I, I want them to get planted in the church because I think those things go together. And not only that, 
I want him to get planted in my church. I have to ask myself, why do I want that? You know, I'll give you my true confession here. There's a part of that because I want to be seen as a successful pastor. As a pastor who's reaching people. I want to be seen as that by my peers, by, by those around me. But i got to tell you, there's also a big chunk of me that wants to see people come to Christ because I truly believe in all my heart that without Christ they are lost eternally. And that if I'm not intentional about reaching people for Christ, if I'm not intentional about my faith story and about doing what I can do to build relationships and give opportunity to be able to tell people about Jesus... It says something about my love for them, my love for God, for His calling on each and every one of us. I seriously can't see the clock, and I'm very nervous. What time is it? It's 10 o'clock already? Oh, well, never mind. I still have two pages. Well, let's just go on this. Why do you come to church? Why do you come to church every Sunday? I got to think about that this morning. And you know, one of the reasons why I come to church, it's probably not the best reason. It's probably just a selfish reason. I come to church because I want to be with you. That there's something, there's something good that happens when we're with each other. That doesn't happen when I'm sitting by myself watching a TV program at home and hearing somebody preach some great sermon on TV. There's something good about being together with each other. Well, I guess that's enough. I'll let go. I I think the point is this. Is that God asks us to consider our motives. Why we do or don't do what we do or don't do. Is it for our glory? If so, we've already received our reward in full. Because we can do a lot of good things. And that's just the end of it. Nothing wrong with that. But that is the end of it. Or is what I do and what we do for the sake of others and ultimately for God's glory? Those are things that are truly honored by God and last forever. You remember I, I talked with you about this whole Sermon on the Mount stuff and I gave you this little, this little continuum kind of thing that Jesus is making this, this study between whether it's outward or inward, whether it's flesh or spirit, whether it's control or surrender, whether it's me or thee. 
And Jesus, Jesus here, I think, tells us as clearly as he can tell us. You choose how you live your life. You're either going to live your life with you at the center of it, even your spiritual life, even, even the, the good things that you do. It, it, they turn into either just something that's really about us for our convenience, for our glory, for our honorment, for our acceptance, for our neuroses, for our whatever. Or we're going to live life that's sold out for God. And we do what we do to honor Him. We give what we give. We pray the prayers we pray. We fast like we fast. The things, all the things that we would do in our spiritual disciplines, in our practices, we do them for God's honor and for His glory and for the betterment of other people and for God. It's either, it's either about us or it's about God. And, and, and I, I, I get it. Sometimes it's mixed. <laughs> we do things with mixed motivations. Jesus just invites us in this passage to just say, you know what? Let's make it about God. Let's make it about God. I, I don't know about you. I, I, I was thinking about about this, I, I finished uh, writing this message, and, and I and I and I just uh, I had a song that just kept going through my head. Um, I think David actually has I don't know what he's he got something else we're going to sing here, but I'll just no, tell it with we have my head. this one. It was a song that just said, "Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee." And, 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 I, and I just had that phrase kept going through my heart and mind. And I, and, I, and I just said, you know what? That really needs to be the call of our life. That when we're talking about doing this life with God, He invites us to just live with that kind of life that says, God, everything I am. You know, you're, you know remember the verses that says, Take my silver and my gold, not a mite with I would hold. You know, that says, it says, Take my hands and take my feet. Take my life. Take everything I am. Lord, I consecrate it all to Thee. You know what? If we live like that, we won't have an issue. We're not going to have an issue with this business of pride and vainglory. Because we live very simply with a heartbeat that says, God, I'm all in. I'm all in for You. Everything I am, every word I speak, every prayer I pray, every gift I give, every discipline, spiritual discipline that I do, it's about you and not about me.